2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, Second uh, Corinthians chapter number 11, and it is our uh, distinct pleasure to be back again, and uh, so many familiar faces as we uh, start singing, and I'm looking at every crowd here, we can just see uh, so many familiar faces and so many friends that we've made for the past, oh, four years, I think we've been coming here, this is our fourth year here. And I never, never dreamed, never, uh, I was honest, I told the preacher yesterday, I said, I'm going to be honest with you, I never really wanted to come to Canada. And uh, it's like Wisconsin of the north or, you know, uh, something like that. But uh, that's what I thought of it. And so, but the Lord kind of gave me a burden three years ago when I came here and the Lord's allowed me to preach here uh, often places. And, and I've been all the way to the west coast now to uh, Vancouver last February, I preached a revival out there. And I've been all the way up to the Arctic Circle um, in Inuvik in the Northwest Territories. And uh, I have not been to the Eastern provinces yet, uh, but I, I, maybe the Lord will have me do that someday. But it is our pleasure uh, to, uh, to be here this week. And of course, the guys would echo that. And we always love coming here. It's one of the highlights of our year. And I've, I have a message that I believe the Lord has for me this morning. And um, my desire is to help you. My desire is to... Um, to be a blessing. It, it, it's, it's a little unusual that I would start a revival with this type of a message, uh, but I believe, I believe the Lord wants, wants to do something, uh, to revive something else in us this morning. And so with God's help, I, wanna, I just want to help you this morning. And uh, it is one of those messages that's just, it's, it's heavy on my heart. And uh, I think that's part of the reason why uh, on a song like God has not changed, that the Lord would touch me during that song, um, but we'll see what the Lord has for us. Second Corinthians chapter number 11, uh, the Bible says, now verse number 23, and Paul is talking about his, his, some of the things that he's going through. In verse number 23 of second Corinthians chapter number 11, he says this, are they ministers of Christ? He's, he's dealing with these folks that are giving some complaining and, and uh, some of them also are boasting about some things they have gone through. And he says, they are, they are, are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I'm more in labors, more abundant in stripes above measure in prisons, more frequent in deaths off. Paul said, man, they think they're doing a good job and they think they're going through something. He said, I've, I've been in stripes above measure. Uh, many of you understand the, 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 what they did to Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that in a second here. But the striping of these men, the beating of men, he said, he said, I've gotten beaten so many times. I stopped counting how many times I was beaten. He said, I've been in stripes above measure and deaths often, or things causing death more often. He said, of the Jews received I uh, five, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And back in those days, it was considered cruel and unusual punishment to give a man more than, four, more than 39 stripes. Once you received that 40th stripe, it was considered an excessive punishment and you could be held accountable for that cruel and unusual punishment. And he said, listen, I received it. The Lord Jesus Christ, as far as we know, the Bible says, they struck him 39 times. And Paul said, not only did I go through that, he said, I received 39 stripes five different times. He said, thrice was I beaten with a rod. Once was I stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck. A night and a day have I been in the deep. In journey, it sounds like Paul is living his best life now, doesn't it? He could have wrote a book on how to have the victorious life. Doesn't sound like it from this perspective. Right. He said, uh, uh, in journeys often, in perils of water, perils is troubled. He said, I've been in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea. In per-. Sound like a rap song, doesn't it? Never mind. And uh, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness, in painfulness, in watchings often, in hungers and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Paul's like, man, I have gone through it. And he said, beside all of this, that which cometh upon me, that, the things that are without, he said, everything that I've mentioned before, all of that stuff is happening on the outside. 
all the stuff that my body has gone through on the outside. And he said, it, beside the outside, those things which are without, he said, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of the churches. Paul said, I've gone through trouble on the outside. I've been in perils. I've been in dangers. I received stripes. I was beaten. I was shipwrecked. I've been cold. I've been naked. He said, I've gone through it all. And besides everything that I've gone on the outside, he said, there is stuff on the inside that's troubling me. You ever been there before? You ever been to the place where it seems like it's just coming at you from every angle possible? It just seems like, man, I don't have enough money. My house is breaking down. My car is breaking down. People are talking bad about me. My friends have forsaken me. I don't have enough money for rent. I don't have enough for this. Man, it seems like uh, people at work are against me. It seems like my own family's against me. And beside all that, I've got stuff going on the inside that nobody even sees that I'm going through. I don't know whether it was depression. I don't know whether it was discouragement. I don't know whether it was bitterness. I don't know whether it was anger. I don't know whether it was complacency, apathy, whatever it was. Paul said, I've got it going on on the outside. And he said, I've got it going on on the inside. And he said this, who is weak? Am I not weak? Who is offended and I burn not? I mean, Paul was to the place where he said, listen, you think, you think the fellow Christian across from you gives you some problems? He said, it looked like Lester Roloff over here. I thought I, thought I, saw, I thought I saw Lester Roloff. He's in heaven, but he's an old preacher over here. I thought I saw one of the men who looked like, reminded me of the old preacher, Lester Roloff. And he, he, he said, man, all this stuff going on, you think you've got it bad because some of the church member doesn't like you? Somebody's not getting along with you? They didn't even believe I got saved. When Paul came in there and he said, man, Paul got saved or Saul got saved. And they were like, yeah, okay, whatever. I mean, can you imagine the church coming to you and saying, nope, nope, we don't believe you got saved. Paul said, man, you think you burn? You think you're offended? I mean, my right-hand man, Barnabas, and I had to depart because he had a thumb-sucking mama's boy with him, and I didn't want to put up with him, and he wanted to put up with him, and we were seeing great revivals happen and great missionary work being done, and all of a sudden, we have to split ways over a personality. You think you're offended, and not only that, could you imagine your struggles, your difficulties, put in the Bible for everybody else to read? I've made some pretty stupid mistakes in my life. But here's one thing I praise God for. I made most of my stupid mistakes before I ever had social media. (laughs) Some of you young people, your stupidity is going to be on there for the annals of history. And they're going to look you up 100 years from now to see how dumb you really were. (laughs) Some of you, all they're going to see is what you had for breakfast every morning. (laughs) But we look at that and we say, man, Paul's like, you think you're offended? Man, I am burning with offense. And then he says this unusual statement, verse 30. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Huh. It seemed like Paul would take the time, as he did in another passage of Scripture, and my mind uh, fails me to remember where it is, but he said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, as touching the law, I, I believe it's, uh, uh, where is that? In, in Romans, he said, touching the law, I am blameless. I believe it's in Romans. And he said, I am a Hebrew of Hebrews. He said, he said, I am of the tribe of Benjamin of the stock of Judah. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day. He said, as touching the law, I am a Pharisee. And Paul said, I got all these things. You would think Paul would say, I could glory in those things. But Paul said, if I'm going to glory, if I'm going to bring something attention to myself, if I'm going to rejoice about something, it's going to be about my infirmities. What an unusual statement to make. Chapter number 12, he says this, it is not expedient for me doubtless to glory. He said, I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. He said, I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago 
Uh, we, we had uh, Pastor Fury and I, we had a little bit of a, a discussion on that, of whether Paul was talking about himself or Paul was talking about somebody else. But all I know is this. He said, I, I knew somebody, whether it's himself or not, is not really uh, of, any, of any scriptural importance here. Uh, but he said, I knew a man above Christ about 14 years, in Christ about 14 years ago, whether in the body or out, of, or I cannot tell, or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knows. But he said, such a one, whoever that was, whether it's me or somebody else, was caught up in the third heaven. He said, and I knew such a man, or it's a different man, or the same man, we don't know, whether in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which are not lawful for a man to utter. Of such a one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. This indicates probably he was not talking about himself. But in mine infirmities, he said, man, this thing that happened to this other guy, I'll talk about that. I'll be glad to talk about the revelations that he received when he went to paradise. I'll be glad to talk about what this fellow saw when he went to heaven and how God must have favored him and allowed him to come back and tell me some things. And he allowed him that revelation and those mysteries to be revealed unto him. But he said of myself, I will glory in mine infirmities. What an unusual statement. He said, though I desire a gift, I'm sorry, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I, will, for I say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. You know, one of Paul's major concerns was that they would not think of him that he was better than what he was. Paul went to the extent to say, listen, he said, I, that I may win Christ, all of those things that I've done. He said, I count them but dung that I may win Christ. He said, I count all things as loss that I may win Christ. And Paul, and we live in a society today that the number one thing we want to do is we want somebody else to think of us better than what we are. That's why we get on social media and we take pictures at angles or we use filters so we look better than what we really are. And I'm thinking, man, if my face looked like that, I'd use 15 filters too, amen? And man, if I could just get the right lighting and if I want to look better, I'm going to stand over here in the shadow so I can look better to everybody else because I sure do look a whole lot better in the dark. <laughs> Hide some of those blemishes. One lady said one time, she said, I think these women, I think these women are, are, are these days, they paint themselves up too much. We're wearing too much makeup when they were doing this and we're doing that. One old preacher said, well, honey, he said, if the barn needs painting, paint it. Amen. <laughs> of course, this year, you know, y'all notice for the first time I have these things on my face. I did not have these last year when I was here. But I, I, I was told the teenagers, I, I grabbed my, my oldest son, got some glasses, and I grabbed his glasses, and I, I put them on my face, and I looked down the street from my house. And when I put them on, I said, whoa, that fire hydrant is red. And I was like, I think it's time to get me some glasses. But what happened was, Brother Jake, I, after two weeks of having my glasses, my wife said, honey, she said, we got to take those back. And I said, what are you talking about, honey? And she said, no, nope, get in the car. He said, we got to take those back. We drove all the way to the doctor's office, to the eye doctor, and she, she went to that doctor's office and she said, she said ma'am, she said, we got to return these glasses. We got, he, 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 she said, is there something wrong? No, he said, he said, yeah, there's something absolutely wrong with these glasses. And uh, she said, she said, she said uh, he's been wearing them for two weeks and he's still not seeing things my way. <laughs> so I got a new pair of glasses. But we use filters and we look at things and we're trying to make ourselves seem better than what we are. These, what my, my wife's got to have it of that. We take a picture and she's like, no, no, no. You got to stand on that side of me. That's my good side. And I said, listen, honey, I'm a man. I don't have a good side. You know, I, I guess I can stand anywhere you want me to stand. But she wants to always be on. If you look at our pictures together, most of the time I'm standing on this side and she's on that side. That's my good side. And then, you know, she's got to put that chin up in the air. And uh, we're men, we're just naturally pretty, amen, and uh, we don't have to do all that stuff, and, and uh, I, just put my, I just put my chin down so you can see all 14 of them, right? No, right. You know what that is right there, amen? That's a cushion for when you fall asleep in church. Somebody said, your chin, you got so many chins, you can't bow your head to pray when the preacher says, you know. 
But we try, we try to lift our heads and we try to stand just right. To make, we try to wear, they, they, say, they say black uh, uh, makes you look thinner. Man, that's why God covered my skin right in it, right there. Make me, don't I look skinnier? No. We say things like that because we want somebody. We want, and brother, he said, man, I don't know who he is, but I like him. <laughs> and we, 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 we're constantly trying to make ourselves look better, aren't we? You go to the United States, you go to our neighborhoods, you know where some of the best cars are? The ghetto. They don't have two nickels to rub together, but they got a Cadillac Escalade SUV with tricked out tires and everything else on them. You know why? Because they don't care if they're poor, they just don't want to look like they're poor. But Paul said, if, if I'm going to get some glory, he said, it'll be in my suffering. And then he said this, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given unto me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing, whatever it was, he said, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, here's that phrase again, will I rather glory in mine infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Up until this point, man, we've heard it. Man, it's horrible. It's horrible. I mean, I got it coming from every angle. It's on the outside. It's on the inside. I'm, I'm, it's in the countryside. It's in the city. It's everywhere. It's absolutely everywhere I go, I'm going through it. And he said, beside all this, he said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Messenger of Satan to buffet me. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Here's what Paul is saying. I'm going through the mess. But if you listen loud enough, you're going to hear a message in the middle of your mess. With God's help, I want to preach to you about that for the next about 15 minutes. The message in the middle of the mess. Or you might want to call it, what I learned from my trials. What I learned from my trials. Can I use an illustration? And I may have used this illustration. I've not preached this message here, but I may have used this illustration before when I've preached at this church. But I want you to see something, and hopefully you will never forget this illustration. Brother Jake, can I use you for a second here? I normally use a young person when preaching this message, but I'm going to use Brother Jake because all the young people left. And uh, he's the nearest thing to a young person over here. Doesn't he look? Yeah, mine. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. But the Bible said this. He said, there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Say, Brother Allen, what was that thorn in the flesh? I believe it could have been Paul's eyesight. Paul told, I believe it was the Galatian church. He said, if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eye and given it unto me. I believe Paul's eyesight. He, he referenced sometimes about him writing with his own hand that particular letter. But whatever it was, Paul said, this guy came and he buffeted me. Now, that word buffet means to strike. But I'm just, for sake of illustration, because if he strikes me, I'm striking him back. <laughs> Say, don't, don't you believe you should turn the other cheek? Sure I do. But I only have two up here. Amen. <laughs> and, uh, but the Bible says he was given a thorn in the flesh to buffet me. Don't miss this. Brother Jake, we're going we're gonna to step up here on the platform here, and you're going you're gonna to annoy me a little bit. So Brother Jake is going to be this thorn in the flesh, okay? And the Bible says that it was given to buffet me. And as Brother Jake, you're just going to poke me. Okay, there we go. Don't shove me. You know, I'm, I'm getting old. It said he was going to buffet me. And Paul said, and what he's describing is everywhere I go, I just can't seem like I can shake this thing. He said, man, I'm going city and city and town to town. I mean, I go to this city, they throw me out. I go to this one, they try to stone me. I go over here. 
Maybe it, just was, maybe it wasn't just Paul's troubles and tribulations. Maybe it was Paul's sin. Maybe it was something that Paul was struggling with in his life. Maybe it's the sin of alcoholism. And maybe everywhere he goes, he tries to get away from it. But it seems like this guy's serving alcohol and this guy's serving beer. And it seems like I can't even get away from it. It's such a vice in my life and it, it just controls me. And I go over, maybe it's the bitterness of something that happened in my past. And it seems like everywhere I go, I can't get away from it. I see that person's face who sinned against me. I see the destruction that happened in my life because of what they did to me. And it seems like I cannot shake what has happened to me then he said this he said I'm going along with it and he's still harassing me and he said this he said I besought the Lord about it that it might depart from me he said I got on my face and I began to pray oh heavenly father please Lord take this away from me Oh, God, could you, could you take this away from me? And then it would go away for a little while, maybe. And he'd say, yeah, man, all right, it seems like I got the victory now. Man, did you see that? Man, I prayed about that, and God took it away for a little while. The discouragement is not there. The bitterness is gone. The trials are gone. It seems like the storm has ended. There's that silver lining in the cloud, and then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, it comes back again. And he said, well, man, I prayed about that. Yeah. I prayed about that and God gave me the victory. What's going on here? And then he said, he went back and he prayed again. He said, oh God, could you please give me the victory? God, my sin or my discouragement, Lord, could you stop that? Lord, could you send it away? And he begins to stop again. And all of a sudden, man, now I feel like I can teach Sunday school class again. I feel like I can rejoin the choir again. I feel like I can go on with my life again. And man, everything's good right now. But the Bible says he comes back again and he begins to assault us again. And whatever that thorn in the flesh, he said, I got a third time. I went down and prayed. He went away. He came back again. And I'm like, man, it's it seems like it's never going to end. You, you ever been there in your life? Yes. I'm going to tell you right now, this preacher has been there. I've been there because of my own sin at times. And let me say this. He said, I had to pray three times that it might depart from me. But it didn't go anywhere. Thank you, Brother Jake, for a second. He said it didn't go anywhere. You know, we use sometimes in the Christian life cliches that, I mean, they're kind of scriptural, but they're not. We say things like this. This too shall come to pass. This will pass. What about when it doesn't? What do you do then? Well, it's going to get better. What if it doesn't? Yeah. yeah. Oh, no. Hey, I mean, the sun is going to come out tomorrow. What if it doesn't come out tomorrow? And there are things in life that are troubling us that some of them will never come to pass. This past Thursday, somebody said goodbye to a husband, and you know what? It's never going to come to pass. It's not coming to pass. They will, all, they will be a widow. When you say goodbye to somebody you love, sometimes it doesn't come to pass. When you say goodbye to a child prematurely, it doesn't come to pass. It comes to stay. Many times those, no doubt in this room, have faced a divorce. You know what? Many cases it will never come to pass. They're not coming back. Things aren't going to get better. The disease in your body may not go and it may go away. We have ladies in our church right now that are suffering with multiple sclerosis. And you know what? It's not going to come to pass. There is no treatment for it. And, I, and sometimes we see, look at cancer. We say, yes, there's at least some treatments for it. There's some chemotherapy we can go through. There's some, there's some experimental things we can go through. But it a disease like multiple sclerosis, there is nothing that's not going to come to pass.
Brother Allen, my, my young person has gone away from the Lord. My son and daughter don't even love the Lord. And my grandchildren want nothing to do with God. It may not come to pass. It may not. Brother Allen, I was sinned against. Somebody took advantage of me. Somebody abused me physically or sexually abused me. I, listen, that's not coming to pass. It's not going to go away. God's not going back into the past and that's not going to happen anymore. Maybe you were starved as a young person. Maybe you were in an alcoholic's home and you had verbal abuse and physical abuse. Guess what? Your past is not going to come to pass. It's there to stay. You're going to have to deal with it. It's just going to be a part of your life. What do we do then? Brother Allen, are you telling me there's no hope for me? Are you telling me that I have to drag this thing around with me for the rest of my life? Are you telling me I'm always going to have this disease and there's no hope for me? Are you telling me I just, I just have to deal with it, Brother Allen? Oh, no, no, no. There is a wonderful message in the middle of this mess. Here's what the Bible says. And I don't mean any disrespect, Brother Paul, but can I use you for a moment? Can you go back about to that third row back there? The Bible says there was given unto me a thorn in the flesh. Look at your Bible, a messenger of who? Satan. Satan. A messenger of Satan. Whatever this thorn in the flesh was, it went back and it got a message from the devil And he brought that message from the devil back to me. And he began to buffet me. Maybe that message is, God wasn't there for you. God wasn't there for you. God failed you. And when that happened to you, God, God help me. When that happened to you, God wasn't there for you. And he forsook you. And he could have stopped that. And he didn't do it. And the devil's buffeting you and say, hey, where's God right now that cancer's going through your body? Where's God now that you lost that baby? Where's God when your husband walked away from you? Where's God when you got a mother and father who don't even care about you and they've forsaken you? Where was God when I lost my husband? Where was God when I lost my wife? And I don't know what the message is tonight, but I guarantee you there's some people in this room right now that Satan has buffeted you with the, with, the, with the reality and it's true. Some of what he's saying is true. It is true that that person walked away from you. It is true that your marriage fall apart. It is true that you don't think anybody loves you. It is true that you cry yourself to bed at night. It is true that you feel like your friends have forsaken you. It is true that you've thought about taking your own life because you don't think it's worth it anymore. This messenger of Satan is constantly buffeting us with messages. But here's what we learn. If you, instead of making a rash decision, if you, instead of leaving God, if you, instead of forsaking the God who you know, you sang those words, God is so good, and you sang them with conviction several minutes ago, do you know why? Because in your heart of hearts, you know he is good, but there are certain times where we get separated from what our heart knows and what our lips say sometimes, and yet what our mind begins to plague us with, and sometimes we kind of know he's good, but we are in the place where he doesn't look very good right now. But if you'll just be quiet for a little while, there are several messages that the Lord wants us to get. Here's the first one. You ever notice this? The Bible says that he is a what of Satan? He's a messenger. Don't miss this. Satan is where? He's over there. His messenger is where? Over here. He said there was a messenger of Satan sent to buffet me. But Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. Don't miss this. Brother McPherson, can I use you for a second? Satan, Brother Fury, is sending a messenger Jesus just spoke. 
Y'all with me this morning? Satan sent a messenger. Jesus just spoke. Which means, number one, God is standing near. He didn't send me a messenger. He didn't send me a prophet. He didn't send Paul a priest. He didn't send a fellow Pharisee. He didn't send a youth pastor. He didn't have to wait until the next church prayer meeting. He didn't have to wait until the mom and daddy got home. He didn't wait till the preacher father got home. He didn't wait till one of the deacons showed up at his house. But Jesus just spoke. Do you ever wonder why Satan has to send a messenger? Why he doesn't come over here himself? It is because there is somebody that is standing near you that has all power, that is omnipotent, that is all-knowing, that has grace that is sufficient. There is somebody that is standing you near you that he cannot do battle with. You ever wonder why in Jude he said this, oh, help me, Lord. Woo, I want to shout in a minute here. He, you ever wonder why he says in the book of Jude, he said, when Michael disputing with the archangel, the archangel Michael disputing with Satan over the body of Moses, it said he durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but he said, the Lord rebuke thee. Yeah, yeah. You know what our problem is? We think we can do toe-to-toe battle with Satan. We can't even do toe-to-toe battle with the messenger of Satan. Right. Oh, but there's somebody that can. Yeah. <laughs> There's somebody that is standing near me. And I'm going to tell you this morning, you do not know the closeness of God to you until you have had a messenger of Satan in your life. I'm going to tell you right now, some of the greatest times in my life where I realized that the God of heaven was standing near me, it wasn't when the sun was shining. Hey, it was during the midnight hours of my life when I thought I had no hope, when I thought there was no joy to be restored, when I thought nothing would ever change, when I thought that all hope was lost, when we thought, hey, but I found out standing somewhere in the shadows that you'll find Jesus. I found out that the Bible said God is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And it said a broken and a contrite spirit will he not refuse. Oh, I read in the Bible, he said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I'm going to tell you, there's some people in this room this morning that you think God has forsaken you. Can I tell you, he has not forsaken you. He is as close as the mention of his name. And he's always waiting to do it, and he's speaking to you. And if you'll cut down the television set, if you'll quit belly aching with your friends, if you'll quit moaning and groaning on social media and just listen a little while, while you're being buffeted, you're going to hear the voice of God and understand that he is standing near in the midst of your troubles. Amen. And amazing, those right now in this room that are nodding their head the greatest have been through some of the greatest heartache of the people in this room. You know why? Because they know, they've realized he's standing near. I believe there's a widow this morning that he's standing near. I believe there's some people, he's going through some struggles, that he is standing near you. And he is whispering to some of you right now, I know you were sinned against. I know you were taken. I know you have heartache, but I am standing near you. I have not forsaken you. Paul said this. He said, man, at my first accusation, he said, no man stood with me. No man said, I'm being accused. They're maligning me. They're ready to kick me out of the church. They're ready to throw me on the trash heap of history. But he said, notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me. Sister, I've never been through cancer. Lord willing, I'll never go through it. And I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But can I say to you, there is an opportunity that you have to know God like some of us will never know him. David said, I got to the point, I read it this morning in the scripture. He said, we read it this morning in teen class. I looked on my right hand, refuge failed me. He said, no man cared for my soul. But by the end of that chapter, Drew, he was shouting and praising God for his goodness. You know why? Because David said, I learned something in the midnight hours. 
Isn't it amazing? Paul and Silas, how could they sing praises? How could they worship? They're in one of the nastiest areas, in the nastiest prisons, and yet here they are at midnight in that prison. They're singing praises to God, and you wonder why your shackles haven't fallen off, and you wonder why your chains haven't been broken, and you wonder why your prison isn't released yet. Maybe it's because we haven't been silent enough to listen and realize that we got something to shout about, that even in the midst of our heartache, even in the midst of our loss, even in the midst of our despair, God is standing near us. Amen. Not only is he standing near us, but his grace is sufficient. Amen. The Bible says, let us not be in weary, weary and well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. How does that happen? Here's what he said. He said, you're getting buffeted. And here's what happens. We get tired, don't we? We get tired of dealing with the same things. We get tired of dealing with the same heartache. We get tired of struggling with the same sins. We get so burdened down. And the Bible says our head begins to hang low. And the Bible says those hands which are once held high begin to fail. But I promise you this morning that right about that time when you feel like you're about to go down for the last time, out of nowhere, out of the glory world will come the hands of Almighty God. Yeah. And that hand will begin to lift you up. You're with me, brother? Amen. That hand will begin. Yeah, there we go. That hand will begin to lift you up. Amen. And there is a sustaining hand of God. And there is a grace of God that some of you don't know yet because you've not learned to lean on his everlasting arm because we've looked for everybody else. We've looked to psychology for our solution. We've looked to Dr. Phil and Oprah for our solution when we should have been looking for the gracious hand of an almighty God that is able to sustain us while we're being buffeted by the devil. There's, oh, man, I love this song, but I like the Bible verse even even better than it says this. For thou, O Lord, are a shield unto me, my glory and the lifter of my head. Amen. Sure. For thou, O Lord, are a shield to me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. You ever been to the place where, man, your head was down everywhere you were going? You were in a state of depression because of what you were going through. Maybe it was your own sin that you were suffering the consequences of. But I'm going to tell you tonight, they used to have an old expression. We used to tell this to our, we used to tell this to our, uh, our, uh, the, the soccer guys on the soccer field and on the basketball field, and I used to help coach them. We used to say this. We used to say, hey, man, keep your head up. Keep your head up. We say, chin up, man. Keep that chin. Keep a stiff upper lip. And we say, keep your chin up, man. But I'm going to tell you, as a child of God, as a born-again Christian, I don't have to keep my head up. I don't have to keep my chin up because I have a glory and I have a lifter of my head. And when I can't even lift my own head up and when I can't lift my own chin up, there is somebody here that can lift up my head for me. And in the middle of me being buffeted, I realize that His grace really is sufficient. Do you know why some of you don't understand? Man, I don't know how she can go through that. Man, I don't know how he can go through that. Man, I don't know if I did that, if I could face it that way. It's because you haven't needed that grace yet. And when you need that grace, when you lean on God, guess what? You're going to find it, Brother Calvin. You're going to find it. There's not a person that's ever leaned on the arm of the almighty God and found his grace to be insufficient for them. I may not be able to rescue myself, but I know somebody that can. I may not be able to turn back the clock and erase things that have happened in my life, but I got a God whose grace can take me into a brighter future. Not only do we see that, hey, God is standing near, his grace is sufficient, but there is glory in suffering. There is glory in suffering. Paul said, if I'm in a glory... It's going to be in my suffering. It's going to be in my suffering. Say, Paul, that that doesn't even make sense. Paul, are you walking around saying, hallelujah, I got stoned? Some of y'all are, but that's a different kind of stone. (laughs) It is legal up here in Canada. That's that's why I was here six times last year. But anyways, (laughs) I think you said that in church when he was preaching in church. He said, now I understand why Calvin goes up to Canada so much. Paul's not saying, man, I'm glad I was shipwrecked. I'm glad I was starving. I mean, you can see my rib cage. I'm, not mine, but I'm talking about his. <laughs> man, you don't get this by fasting. You get this way by feasting. Amen. 
I saw three people orbiting me last week. But anyways, <laughs> there's, am I saying Paul was shouting hallelujah because he got shipwrecked? No. Am I saying he was happy that he was starving? No. Am, am, am I saying Paul was happy because people turned on him? No. But I am saying this. There was glory in his suffering. But it wasn't his glory. Amen. It was God's glory. Amen. The problem is we are so self-centered. We are looking at ourselves. We are looking at the heartache. We are looking at the, what is buffeting us. We are looking at the turmoil that's going on in our life instead of saying, oh, no, no, no. God's going to get some glory out of this. Yeah. One of my best friends in all the, uh, that I have as a preacher is Dr. Tom Williams. Dr. Tom Williams is known as a preacher on prayer and fasting. Brother Williams' first wife, during her second child delivery, she ended up losing her life. He remarried later, and him and his wife, his second wife, they were on, they were on a trip over in Israel. And she contracted uh, bacterial meningitis. And through the course of time, she, she literally digressed to the place where she basically had the mind of a four-year-old. Dr. Tom Williams cared for his wife and he loved on her. He took care of her. And I'm going to tell you what happened. God has gotten glory out of his life. And God has used his prayers to literally do miracles in people's lives. It wasn't coming to pass. His wife wasn't coming back. But he cared about her and he, he made a movie called Twice Given that has literally been around the world and seen thousands saved and come to the Lord Jesus Christ because there is glory for him in suffering. Well, I don't understand it. You don't have to understand it. You just got to bring him glory. The planets don't understand why they rotate, but you know what? They give him glory. Because Psalm said the heavens declare the glory of God. Yeah. We don't have to understand how photon particles work, but light gives God glory. In your life, God's given you some things. You say, I don't understand this. Here's how God's going to get glory. You ready? We're almost done here. He buffets us. We learn God is standing here. We begin to faint. His grace becomes sufficient for us. Then other people look at us and say, man, wait, wait. How, how'd you make it through that? There it is. Man. You know, maybe the reason why God's putting you through a test is he needs somebody with a testimony. Maybe there's other divorced men and women out there and you're making it by the grace of God. And they're like, man, I don't even know how I'm going to make it till next week. And you say, ah, there's somebody that's near me that I'd like to introduce you to. Yes, sir. Maybe there's somebody else that's lost a baby. Maybe there's somebody else that said goodbye. Maybe there's somebody else that's dealing with a husband or a wife with Alzheimer's that's in a nursing home this morning. I don't know what that is, but I know this. I know that I have shouted about the things that I have faced in my life. And God has allowed me to grow up in a home without a father. And God allowed me to grow up in a home with alcohol and drugs. And I have literally preached to thousands of young people and adults that went through that same lifestyle. And I can say, hey, God can use anybody. And God can get glory and give me a testimony. And some of you are stifling your testimony because you are so worried about the test. And God's trying to give you a testimony. The Bible says the rain. Listen, uh, whether you're saved or lost, you're getting buffeted. Whether you're saved or lost, you may face cancer. Whether you're saved or lost, your husband might walk out of the house one day. Whether you're saved or lost, you may have a heart attack. Whether you're saved or lost, there's, there's lost people that had strokes last year too, Brother Fury. What is it? It's the testimony of the grace of God. And here's what it is. This is the last point here. We're going to the house. Not only do we understand that God is standing near, his grace is sufficient. There's glory in suffering, but there is a gladness in surrender. Amen. There is a gladness in surrendering to God over what is going on in my life. 
Here's what Paul said. After that verse, we said, my grace is sufficient for thee. Here's what Paul said. He said, I take pleasure in mine infirmities. I take pleasure in my infirmities? Oh, wait, wait, hold up, Paul. Hold up. You're not only saying you're in glory in those infirmities in God. You're, you're saying you take pleasure in those infirmities? I'm not trying to read my way into the Bible, but here's what I believe Paul was talking. I don't believe he was saying, I'm glad I got shipwrecked. But he said, it happened. I surrendered to it. It was God's will. And now I take glory in it because I'm looking at how God has used it. And I can look around and say, well, man, yeah, that happened in my life. But let, do you understand what God has done? And now I'm no longer, I'm no longer captive by what has happened in my past. I am no longer captive by what is going on in my life right now. But I am allowing, I am surrendering to God and saying, God, I trust you. You are still good. You are still great. Now, how are you going to use this in my life? My wife and I, about 14 years ago, were expecting our first little baby. And we're excited buying stuff and all that kind of thing. But then went to the doctor one day. And the doctor said, you've lost that baby. Man, our hearts broke. First pregnancy, first expecting. And I mean, we were broken. I remember driving to where our new church, we left the doctors on. Our doctor at that time was on Highway 100 in Ryan Road over there by the, by the close to the church building. And the, at the time, the church just had a basement that was full of water. We were trying to build a new building and things weren't going well. And I remember leaving that doctor's office, going up Ryan Road, and I remember turning right down 13th Street, where our church is now. And I remember going, I remember we, we parked right across from that property and just said, Lord, I don't, and it really, we just wept. But in my heart, I was praying, God, I don't know what you're doing. We're just hurting God. We're dealing with this over here. We're dealing with this over here. God, it seems like we're getting it from every angle. And I wouldn't have chosen that, and I wouldn't wish that on I wouldn't wish that on anybody having to say goodbye to a baby prematurely. But here's what God did. Several weeks after that, I was at home, and I was I was just had a, some paper on a pencil, and God began to give me this song. Oh, we sang it just about thirty minutes ago. You were there when I was weary. You were there when I was strong. You were there when I had burdens at last. You were there in the midnight. You were there when I lost loved ones dear to me. Huh. I don't have time to go into how God has used that testimony, used that song. But suffice to say, this one time we were in a Christian school convention. And, and we, we, as the quartet was there with us, we were judging this fine arts competition. And we ended up singing that song for 90, uh, for, sorry, for 40 minutes straight for an invitation. See, we didn't know. I didn't know there was a church there. They brought 90 teenagers. Their pastor had just taken his own life. I didn't know that. In that crowd, there was two young people there who their mother, their mother had about two weeks to live. They weren't even going to come. And their mom said, no, you, you go there. You, you guys are prepared. You go there. God will sustain me till you get back. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a young boy that came up to me after the service and said, Brother Allen, you don't know this. But he said, we were in an accident. He said, our car rolled over. We were ejected from the car. He said, thankfully, nobody was killed. He said, my family was broken. And then he said, in the middle of it all, my dad walked out of the house and said, I'm done with all of this. Brother Allen, you glad you lost a baby? No, but I realize this. There's lost people that lose babies too. Yes. But I can tell you this. There is a gladness in surrendering. Say, okay, God, how are you going to use it? It's not coming to pass. There's some of you that are dealing with sin right now. You have dealt with that same sin. You have tried to get the victory. You have tried to get the victory.
man, it'll never, I mean, I can never shake the bottle. I can never shake those pills. I can never get rid of my pornography addiction. I could never get rid of this opioid addiction. I could never get rid of my bitterness. I could never, I'm so angry. I can't get rid of it. It's, it's, it may not fully ever come, but I can tell you this. There is a God. Amen. There is a God. And if you'll come this morning and just surrender to him, say it may never come to pass. But even if it doesn't, I got somebody near me who I'm going to stop trying in my flesh to sustain myself. But I'm going to lean on the everlasting arm of God. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Thank you, men. There's a lot of different ways you can take a message like this. We've gone a little bit long, and I apologize for that. I just saw... There's a lot of ways you can take a message like this. There's heartaches, there's burdens all across this room. And I have liberty to say, because I have no idea what they are, most of them. I know what a few are. We keep in touch a little bit. There are burdens all across this room. And I know it's a little unusual to start a revival this way, but I think if God can refresh us a little bit in our burden. Children of Israel prayed that. Give us some relief in our burden. I think for some of you, God's trying to open your eyes on some things and realize there is a message in our mess. He's standing near. Maybe you're here and you say, brother, I, he's not standing near me. I don't know Jesus Christ as my personal savior. Can I say to you, God wants to save you and you can have a, you can have a grace that is out of this world. But I dare to say most of the crowd in here knows the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal savior. If the Lord's spoken to your heart, I'm going to pray in a moment. The pastor's going to come and direct this invitation. But I'm asking you to do business with God. Some of you need to surrender your past to the Lord this morning and stop blaming him and stop blaming and just say, God, help me, help me to turn this test into a testimony. Help me to surrender. It's already happened. The messenger's here. God, you sustain me. God, you give me the grace. God, you help me. Give me the strength to go on. Help me to stop leaning on myself. Help me to stop leaning on my own understanding, but in all my ways, acknowledge you. Father, I pray that you'd help us as this time of invitation. Lord, some have already come. Father, I, I pray, Lord, that I didn't say anything wrong. I pray that I said everything that you wanted me to say and didn't miss anything. Praise you and thank you for how you've used the heartaches in my life, how you've even used my struggles to make me more like Jesus. And I pray that you'd start a work of revival this week. Start there, Lord, in us. In Jesus' name.